0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today, I'm excited to have on the show longtime friend and fellow squash player and coach, Gilly Lane, also affectionately known as Gilly from Philly. Gilly was a former world number 48 with three PSA titles and reaching seven finals. He was also a US national team player between 2007 and 2015. He is currently the head of men's squash at the University of Pennsylvania, In 2022, he led the team to become the Ivy League champions, and in that same year, he was awarded the Ivy League Coach of the Year, a pretty high-flying CV, both as a player and now as a coach. Gilly and I go way back, and we first met when I was in my early 20s, around 2003 or so, as I was invited to train in Philadelphia for a summer and to help Gilly get an off-season like a pro would. He was a couple of years younger than me, and he was considering his future squash options. We became close friends and have stayed in touch ever since. On the show, we discuss Gilly's first summer training in the UK and the lessons he learned here and how this shaped him for the next steps of his professional career. He reflects on some of the lessons he learned and things he may have done differently. We talk about his pride in playing for his country and how himself, plus a few others, were the early pioneers of professional US squash. He opens up and shares the real reason why he retired from the game at such a young age may surprise you. I really respect how open and honest Gilly was on the show today and he lays open his vulnerabilities for us all to hear and hopefully learn from. We continue the conversation in his role now at the University of Pennsylvania and the incredible job he is doing alongside his assistants Stuart Crawford and Jack Wyant. He has turned the team and the culture around amazingly well and it only looks like it's getting stronger and stronger. He shares some of the key aspects on what it takes to be a successful college coach, as well as how players can get the best out of themselves in the time they're at college. We discussed the mental health aspect and the pressures of college squash, and he shares some brilliant tips on this. It was great also to hear how he has grown and changed as a coach and a person, and how he now coaches very differently to his first day in the chair. He is massive on building a strong team culture, and you can see he is such a role model and figurehead for those young athletes he is in charge of. If you want to follow Gilly and his progress at Penn, then please do check him out on Instagram at gillyfromphilly6, and the link is also attached to the show notes. I thoroughly enjoyed catching up with Gilly, and it had been a long time coming. I'm grateful for the time he spent with me today, and I'm sure you're going to feed off his positive energy and enthusiasm for the game, and we are lucky to have him doing what he is doing. So without further ado, please welcome Gilly Lane. Gilly Lane, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series, man. This is long overdue. We go way back, so I'm sure we're going to have a fun chat, bouncing off each other all day. You know what? We probably should have recorded the last 15 minutes of just talking nonsense. But um, listen, a good place to start. I always like to ask the guests just if you want to give a brief introduction to yourself and what you're currently getting up to.
4: Jess, it's uh, great to be here. Uh, we do go back a long way. So, uh, you know, have we taped those conversations about 15, 20 years ago and played them forward to today? I think that would be a good listen. Uh, but Gilly Lane, um, currently the head men's squash coach at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, uh, my alma mater, where I, where I attended university for four years. Um, former PSA player, uh, world uh, got to 48 in the world and, and played for the U.S. national team and, and did some national coaching for Team USA um, with our collegiate academy uh the junior national team and a couple senior appearances so I'm um, so excited to be here um you know I'm on the podcast now but it's definitely my favorite podcast at the moment uh, I've been absolutely hammering the episodes and Thanks, um, to be honest just great to talk to someone who who knows me very well and and actually saw the start of my squash journey um and mm-hmm. and now we're here and it's just amazing to kind of reconnect and and go over old stories, but also um, talk about things that we're working on and how we can help uh, future players and generations. So.
0: Dude, love it. Incredible. And yeah, listen, um, I'll send you that ten dollars in the post after that for saying it's your favorite podcast. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, listen, um, I think going back a couple of steps, uh, I remember it quite clearly. Uh, I was in I was in a place called Red Hill. You turned up in a place called uh, Guildford, where I'm currently coaching now. Uh, I remember it was a really good summer. Like we were sitting on like a like a grass bank a couple of times. But tell me your story of getting there. Cause I remember I I don't think I picked you up at the airport, but you stayed at my house for the first couple of nights, then you stayed at the University of Surrey. So what do you remember about those early days? Days of coming to the uk
4: well i mean it was it, it, it all started uh, a combination of a couple of things uh, my coach uh, at the time in college craig thorpe clark had a connection um to ian robinson and and um basically messaged ian who was coaching at at, at, at university of surrey in guilford um, about me coming over i was kind of just coming off of a year two years of college squash Um, and kind of thinking about what my next steps were going to be, whether I really wanted to give the pro route a shot. And, you know, at the time there wasn't a lot of male squash players from America doing this. So it was pretty unknown to me and, and me kind of taking this leap of faith, going to Guilford, knowing nobody. I, um, I remember you picking me up. I got on the wrong side of the door. I think you had your yellow car at the time. I had right? a yellow yeah. Fiat yeah, Cinquecento, yeah, yeah, if yeah.
0: anyone wants to Google that yeah. bad boy. <laughs>
4: I, mean, I remember I, you go, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm getting on the passenger side. And he goes, you go, that's the wrong side. So that was my first intro. But, um, you know, I remember training with, with Ian and it, it I was there kind of on my own. And it was kind of the first time in my life I didn't have a lot of people around. So I think, you know, I knew you because of our connection with with Mike Jeffries and you're were, you were over at our house. So I felt very comfortable um, after you basically put me through a summer of training, um, in, in Philly. And, and mm. I said, okay, this is great. Jesse's done it. I see what he's doing. This is a lifestyle that I kind of wanted. I always wanted to be a professional athlete. So I kind of took my first leap there and then Ian was great. And, um, you know, he, he very straight to the point, kind of tell very cutthroat in, in the best way possible. Um, mm. for me, I, I, I kind of realized early, in college I would not say I was the same when you first met me but people telling me things pretty direct um, saying you need to do this you need to do that okay great you know I'll, I'll go prove this person right or I want to I want to um, prove to this person that the time that they're spending on me is worth it kind of thing and sure. so we we're training Tuesdays and Thursdays with the group I think you joined in a couple we had Stacy Ross when he was coming mm-hmm. on his when he was on his uh, return mm-hmm. after the private banking kind of era and <laughs> Um, and then Tim Vail was coming up from the south and, and absolutely destroying me. I was playing, you know, um, you know, that, that, that it was back, just, end,
0: back end cut of his was oh, just unbelievable.
4: <laughs> it was just my first introduction into kind of how the pro life was and how you kind of structured your life. And there was a lot of alone time, which we know on the tour there is. But got over to Guilford, had great six weeks with Ian. Um, we really hit it off, uh, established a relationship that we still touch base, uh, till this day, uh, which is great, you know, um, and kind of had a bunch of hard conversations where it was like, do you think this is the right path for me? And I think at the time in the States, I wasn't the most world renowned junior. I never played world juniors. I was kind of college was the first time that I ever played squash for 12 months as Mm. my only sport. Mm -hmm. So I was really trying to figure out, get my footing in and I was changing my game and everything like that. And, you know, I think it came to conclusion at the end of that summer is like, that's what I want to do. I want to go pro. I want to go do this. And um, my dad at the end of my college career was said, you know, I said to him, you know, well, what do you think? And, you know, I had the best advice from my parents ever. They they go, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. And so, um, a lot of pressure I feel like in the, in America, when you, go to college to get the job that's going to pay the six figures after. And when you have the two people that you look up to most that have been supporting, you say, you have to go chase this. There's, that's all you need. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, And so England was fantastic. I came back after my senior year for six weeks Um, at the time, the pound was over two to one. So, I mean, living in England at that time was going to be pretty expensive and I started searching around for places to live and, eventually settled on Amsterdam and, and set up uh base there and had the best team in the world. And yeah, I just Incredible. went out from there. It was great. Yeah. Was but just just awesome. to
0: give, um, I'm not sure if you know, but to give you a little bit of context Ian Robinson is in division one of the box leagues at the club I run still, he is still churning. He turned 70 the other day. He is such a legend within the club. People love him. I had him on the podcast quite recently. And yeah, he's, uh, he's from Malcolm Willshop school of coaching, like, um, like a solid northerner, very direct and um, very, I'd say quite basic setup, but but man, it got like repetition. You're keeping your mind there. You're so good with that. And that sounds like what you it, needed to have at that point.
4: It's interesting. So to to come into a training session and and we're so used to being so active, I think the way in which I was brought up was like to use my athletic ability on court and, and everything like that. I think I was more of an athlete than a squash player at the time. To do both cross court uh, for about 45 minutes on one side was like something brand new to me um something that i've actually now put in to our sessions this <laughs> spring and the boys are kind of like what's going on but to, to go back to you, you you realize why james and 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 lee Beachill and, and and people like that who come from ponti that are so technically sound and so accurate there's a reason for that mm. and so they can find the angles they find their depth they find their you know they, they find their width so well and it's because of that repetition and and, and ian you know was a master at that. And and, and I was and it it all made sense when I came back to the States and just my consistency was so much better than mm-hmm. it was before.
0: Yeah. And definitely an undervalued. I think there's always a balance to be struck. But yeah, I remember meeting him at a key point in my career a few years before you came over for that trip. And yeah, I, I'd been maybe given some advice that might've not been the great by other people, but he just came there stripped away all the excess kept it super simple and yeah, you know, massively kind of increased my world. Right. So, you know, kudos to Ian and I'm sure he'll be listening. So I'm sure we're giving them a, both, <laughs> both a big thumbs up. So fast forwarding a little bit to your, your pro career. Um, I know you, you're a very proud American, you know, USA hard on your sleeve. Talk about your pride for representing your country.
4: Um, it was the biggest thing for me growing up so my mom played on the u.s national team for lacrosse and she was the captain um in the world cup that the u.s won in in the early 80s and and then um nice. she had me in 85 and got kicked off the team so, <laughs> so I, she blames me for that no i'm just kidding but uh my mom was a was a was a world-renowned athlete and for her representing the u.s was always the best thing in the world and, and um so i grew up with that i i grew up wearing a, her you know i grew up wearing you know usa stuff from her when when i was younger and, nice. and it was just always something that you wanted to play for your country you wanted to represent something that was more than yourself and mm. um so i had that at an early age and it was kind of always you know i mean same thing for south africa right you know it, it, it when you play for the flag it's it means more and and I always played my best, you know, I, when I, when I played for the U S like I had yeah. my best matches, I had my best tournaments. Um, I always felt I was better playing for a team than playing for me, mm. uh, personally. And, and, um, cause I just felt like I didn't want to let anyone down and I wanted to give that extra push and that extra fight. And so the team tournaments I loved, um, you know, and, and definitely was, you know, proud to play for America with with yeah. Julian and Chris Gordon and we were kind of you know not to we were kind of like that first generation we that was really giving it a go yeah. and I think that we were pretty successful in it and we kind of set you know the path of what's going on now not saying that credit should be given to us but we there there's a great foundation here in the states for turning pro whereas mm. like the three of us kind of said we're going to do it and Um, so it was great. Like we got to kind of travel the world together, especially, you know, when you play the Pan American games and, um, you have all those tournaments in South America and Central America, some in the States, um, it's a really big deal. It's, it's, it's a great sense of pride. Um, I, I remember think,
0: clearly can, yeah. like sorry, I remember clearly I think it was in Denmark world teams and and you played Ronnie Durback, I believe and uh you know just the pride you had and like the level of squash you produced and correct me if I'm wrong but I think you'd been struggling with a little bit of injuries at the time on and off maybe in the pro career I could get getting my timeline timelines wrong but man you showed up and you kind of sh- like you could almost see you were accessing this like deeper states that that I hadn't seen as much as a pro when you were like that
4: yeah so there was there was. So in 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 Denmark I was I was definitely I was fully fit for that one but there was okay. another teams that I wasn't. Um I remember playing Rodney like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um absolute legend of the game. He was the captain that you kind of I was young. I was not the captain of the US team. Um I know he was the captain of the South African team and he was the guy that kind of like for me symbolized, okay, this is a really big deal. I'm a lot older. I'm representing my country. I'm going to do it the right way. And so I knew of what he had, I knew he he was kind of a legend in the game, had huge name. Um, So I had to play one love down because no, no, we were one love up because Julian had beaten cops Mm -hmm. at the one. So it was like, I was on and I knew Clinton was playing Chris in the decider after And I think it was one all with Rodney and I just, the kind of the experience took over for him and he just three one. And I was like, Oh, that's like a missed opportunity. But it, but it kind of showed me who I wanted to be down the line yeah, and kind of how he embodied the spirit of like the team and, brought everyone together and um and that was a great team for you guys. I it mean, was I remember-
0: like I, I struggled to get into that team. Like, you know, on, on any given day all four of us could have been one, two, three, four. It was it was so totally. close. Yeah, It was amazing.
4: And that was when Steve was coming through. Clinton mm. was playing great. Obviously yep. Derbs had the experience. You were probably around forty 40- in that forty to fifty range in the world yeah. as well. No,
0: I, I actually was dipping at that point. I was, I was like, that's actually mentally where I was just turning the corner, not positively. So for me, that was actually quite. I had okay. some bad, bad kind of memories of that tournament. But um, like I remember seeing I clearly, bad yeah, memories mm, at
4: the end. But uh, yeah. but but that but that uh, that match against Rodney, I'll always remember just because yeah. when and you play quality, someone of yeah. that yeah. stature was mm, great, and I you. thought it was played. It was also played in the best spirit. It was yeah. of all time because you guys were loud. Our boys were loud. <laughs> there was no there was no excess stuff on court. I think there's a lot of mutual... There's definitely way too much respect for me, I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, looking, but then, looking, then the next... Mm. The, yeah, the next one uh, in Germany that I played, this was at the end of my pro career. Mm. I had a back injury that kind of... That's the one that forced, forced me to retire. And I begged to go on the trip. Like begged. Like I basically talked my way onto the team. I said, I'm fine. I show up and I don't play in the first match, but we have to beat Switzerland. And I've had two epidurals to this point to my back. And I'm kind of struggling. I haven't really trained. And as Paul Asiante is the coach. And I basically said, I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm playing today. I'm playing against Switzerland. Like, this is a decider. If we win, we're in the top 16. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll make it. Um, and he goes, Okay, I trust you. You're in. And I had this moment of, Oh my God, he actually.
3: he He actually is going to
4: play me Mm. yeah and so i had to figure out how to get ready and i played uh riko peter one i won in like 27 minutes or 30 minutes it was the hardest 27 to 30 minutes of my life and i was spasming for the rest of the week i didn't play the rest of the tournament but i wanted to play so bad uh for the u.s and i didn't want to like foreshadow that it was the end because I ended up mm. playing a couple more, but like it felt like that. So I was like, this mm. might be my last chance. And incredible. But yeah, I loved it. I mean, absolutely loved playing mm. for the team. It was yeah. the best.
0: No, no, I could really tell when when I saw you and, and your representation there. But let's transition a little bit to you as as a pro player. And maybe there's a couple of avenues we can we can talk about here. But I suppose the main question I have is is maybe like again the mental side, like mentally, what areas might have let you down as a pro? Did, did any come to mind?
4: Uh plenty. Um, you know, I think physically, physically, I I I felt very good. I think that was my strength. I think I wouldn't. I I think I became a better squash player over the course of my career. I think I was a very good athlete at the start, and that's what mm-hmm. kind of got me over. I think I wouldn't say make made me relevant, but I think made other guys on the tour be like, well, this I have to take this guy seriously. You mm-hmm. know, like um. But if you were to ask you know, Tommy Burden, who was my manager, uh, Lucas Bout, who was my coach, Floris Minard, like, who was my strength and conditioning coach, um, and Alistair, actually, McCall, mm. he, he was there with us too. And I, I have a great relationship with him now. Um, he was kind of leaving Holland at that time, so we over for a little bit. But the, 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 sh- the, the biggest thing was my mental game. And mm-hmm. when I was locked in and I felt very good, I would get into these zones. And I think, you know, you can call it the zone and you can call it, um, you know, I think you you guys on you and uh, Bart talked about kind of like blacking out a little bit. You mm-hmm. don't you get into that zone where you don't remember anything. and I'd go on these runs, which was great. But then I would have these times where and it's funny, I go back and I look at all my notepads and my journals and it's talking about like the loneliness of tour. And like trying to get around that, and trying well. If I do well in this tournament, I'll be able to play the big events. So I need this very quickly. But right. that wanting it so bad and wanting it so quickly was extremely detrimental. And I, Tommy, who I those three guys credit most from my professional success as as a player. Those that they created this environment that was so open, so warm. The amount of conversations I had with Tommy, you know, I mean, I I feel bad. I feel bad for him now because he heard the same thing over and over again. It's like, I want it now. I want it now. I need to go get these points. And I'm always chasing the points instead of really like embracing the moment. Okay. And that wanting it and that kind of anxiety to keep moving up the rankings, I felt was detrimental to me. Mm. And And, I think it spilled over into my play a little bit Mm.
0: and yeah that's what i was going to kind of expand on was there was a desperation to possibly what you're doing and then was there a desperation when you got on court you all of a sudden you're two love eight five up and you're desperate to get and it's like did it become like i have to win this match rather than i want to win this match you know there's a big difference between having something having to do something and wanting to do something isn't there
4: totally i I, you know you you make this big leap to go on tour and it's, it's, it's not for financial means at all at our time, you know, not the money's getting better, but it's, it was more for like our self pride it, it, to prove to people back home, like that, the choice that you made in life was the right one. You know, I, I, I countless number of conversations when I'd come home from Europe and be like, people would be like, what are you doing? Like, okay. you, you could, you know, why are you playing this when you could be making, this amount of money doing something else because i love it it's my you know i want to do it so that kind of fueled me even more to like push on but when you sometimes push too hard you're not allowing yourself to grow and i think i wasn't allowing myself to grow mentally that at a rate that was going to help me succeed on court Sure. and those pressures build up Mm. and they compound and they compound again and that, that's tough, and especially, I mean, Jess, you know what it's like, you know, you fly 12 hours on a plane and then you, you lose when you're not supposed to, and then you got to fly back and you're by yourself. And all you're doing is thinking about that match. <laughs> and so you're just thinking, thinking about how you have to build, you have to get those points back or how you're going to get that money or like, what's the next tournament? Oh my gosh, these points come off. I have to defend this. Yeah. Um. I, I remember like it was yesterday. So we, I went to, I just had into top 50 i booked my trip to hong kong australia and the malaysian open so malaysia i was seated to qualify five star Mm -hmm. uh hong kong i was or australian open i was seated to qualify Mm -hmm. and in hong kong i was top 16 in qualifying had i qualified for all those three events i think i had done it out to where i was gotten like 30 top 40 in the world amazing wow okay didn't qualify for any Wow!
0: Right. Okay. So,
4: Jeez. So, like a six-week trip didn't qualify for. any of them. Mm-hmm. Was down forty-six hundred dollars after the trip, right? Damn. I'd spent forty, you know, and so I'm getting back on a flight and I'm flying to England for World Open qualifying. Hmm. Tear my, and then, and I'd never qualified for the World Open before. On court with Joe Lee, one all. Tear my hamstring at St. George's. Play through the injury, and then it was like boom. And you're just like the stress of this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, bam, sort right. of hits you. Mm. And mentally, it, it throws a big curveball into the plan. And you're kind of like, what's going on? Um, same thing same thing happened the year before at the World Qualifying. Um, we were in England. Uh, I believe it was uh, where were we? We were at Wimbledon or St. George's Hill. I was playing Cassinier mm-hmm. And I was two love up, like won the first two games, four and five. Mm. And lost 3-2. Oh, man. So it was like those things that you're so close um, and you're like, is it ever going to happen? But the reality of the situation is I was only two years into my pro career. Wow. So it wasn't that long.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: But you, my problem was I just overthought it way too much. I wanted it way too bad. I I love to compete, but I wanted to win too much. So on that,
0: a couple of questions. An, an amazing story. You just take us down there. I'm 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 sitting here salivating because of all the kind of avenues we could explore here. Um one of them is what advice did you get from Tommy? Because I'm quite interested with that. But also secondly, what advice would you give yourself now? You know, the 37, 38-year-old Gilly giving the young mid-20s Gilly.
4: So Tommy was the best. I mean, he's just the absolute best. I mean, he I think he got me from a really the start it was just like you know i i I think we were very similar similar in a lot of ways if i could only take tommy's mental strength god i mean the guy is uh he's the rock in like the Mm -hmm. best way possible i mean um his advice you know it's like just i mean it was you know we always say trust the process but like you have to trust what you're doing and i think it was like early on when i heard trust the process but you know my mind kept kind of taking over where it's like okay, okay, listen to what he says. You you trust what he's doing. You trust everything that he's he's doing everything for you. But it was just my mind would take over. And I'm just like, I want it so bad. I want it so bad. And then in those moments where you feel that coming on in court, where you have that moment, you can take it. You would just kind of not freeze up, but maybe the moment passes you by because you want it instead of Mm. just relaxing and embracing the moment and kind of just allowing the work to come through i mean mm. i don't know how many times we sat on his couch over dinner just him saying like you're gonna get there but it's just gonna take some time and i think i didn't realize how hard it was to take the losses especially when you go like two and a half months where you feel like you're not moving forward because you're not winning that many matches exactly. right mm. and so his advice to me was always trust 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 what you're doing it was funny. He was always just make sure you have a return flight booked back when you go home okay. <laughs> because he knew that yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. such a homebody mm. that he always made sure that I had my flight booked back. And, and one of the things that I wish I had listened to now, because I think I would have played a lot longer is just listen to that more and just said, if I had the crystal ball and knew it was going to be okay from five to six years down, I was always planning, trying to plan the next phase of my life.
3: Yeah, sure. Because
4: I wanted that solid base and I wanted that foundation so that I could have the things that I wanted later in life. And Interesting. you know, I think instead of living in the moment and kind of how he put it and trusting that process, that's what I would tell myself now and that's mm. kind of actually what I tell my kids now.
3: Good, yeah. Because I
4: if you're listening i i should listen listened even more and, and, and i love and i love you for everything that you did um because he was the I, best i'll make sure, I'll make sure he and gets Flo- he gets an episode of lucas, this all the recording lucas and Flores were the same mm-hmm. and, and they they, were, they took me in they wanted me there i think they saw something i just wanted it too quickly
3: yeah totally. and it'd be
4: interesting to see where if i just you know there's times in my I'm driving to work and I kind of sometimes wish how it would have played out differently Mm -hmm. if I just stuck with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man. it's so uh, incredible. And you know, it reminds me of the Chinese bamboo tree. I always refer to the story. I love it. You know, you plant that that seed of that Chinese bamboo tree and you need to cultivate the soil, you need to water it, you need to fertilize it. So many people want to see that Chinese bamboo tree come above the surface instantly. But what's happening beneath the surface is growth and and there's the trust in that. And it doesn't show for 5 years this thing. But when it shows, it grows 90 feet in 5 weeks. It's this incredible story totally. about what happens, but So many people either stop watering their soil or they change the soil. They kind of move it to new soil to think it's going to cultivate quicker. And it's all about that. I love that analogy that actually you can see these roots. You can't see them, but they're growing beneath the surface. And how can, you know, us now with slightly older brains try, put that across to the younger minds that going, you know what, those seeds that are being planted, if you are doing the right thing and you're cultivating, they are growing deep and they're growing wide at the same time. So yeah, I love 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 that idea of thinking of it. And so- you know, linking in what you're saying here now, you know, how did how did your pro career finish? How did the retirement come about? Obviously, there's a physical element, but was there also a mental element? And also, just if you want to link in your amazing journey to Penn at the moment as well. Like, I think that's yeah. a nice link there.
4: So, it was, you know, I had made this decision that summer where I didn't qualify for all those events. It was actually after the I was in South Africa for the World Cup uh which is incredible but I came back did summer training went for those tournaments had made this decision that I was going to move back home okay to Philly and I was just such a you know a little homesick thought I could I thought I knew enough at the time where I could base myself at home which was a massive mistake um in in, in my pro career but it it kind of set the foundation for what I'm doing now in a way um so I my hamstring in London at that match with Jolie and then flew home and I had taken a part-time role at Penn um, and played a little bit longer and, you know, I did well. I got to the semifinals of 40 K I beat Pete Barker when he was, um, when he was seven in the world, uh, which was, you know, probably my biggest, biggest win to date. Um, and you know, I was, I felt pretty good. I was working with John white, um, but my back started becoming an issue mm. and I was, it just, I wasn't loving it. And I, and I just, at the back issue, honestly, like every, I always say, I, I, back issue was an issue and I I did like either get surgery and, and, and rehab and go back or um, just try to manage it and play. And to be honest, mentally, I was fried. You were done. I was fried. Mm. I was mm. done. I, How old I, were you? 25 26 I was I I mean I was early and you know I just was like oh this back issue is an excuse that I can use to say Mm -hmm. I'm done and I can just say I don't want to say to anyone that I don't want to play anymore but I'm like I don't really want to rehab I kind of have some things set up that I can feel like I can okay I can use this as a base and, and go from there and I think the truth is is that it was my back but the truth is is also that it was my mind basically saying i I don't really want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. and it was the pressure and the stress of do i really want to start from scratch again no Mm -hmm. and that's another thing i kick myself all the time it's just like i see the guys that were a little bit maybe in the generation that was just under us right see them kicking on into maybe the early 30s and maybe hitting their sweet spot. And I didn't even allow myself to, I didn't allow myself to, to experience that time mm. and, and kind of what would have been our sweet spot, which would have been our, like our, our strong years of like 27 to 31, which it mentally is. I feel like you're at your peak as an athlete, you know, in our sport uh, yeah. and, and physically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. but my mind just shut down and the pressure and I kind of, when I put the thing out on Facebook, it was kind of like a, <gasps> yeah right and then i went on to coaching and mm-hmm. i was at penn as a, a volunteer assistant and then i started my own coaching business and consultancy business in new york and it was great it was successful and worked with some great kids but again that we talked about earlier the, the sense of team and 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 i would growing up i was always a team sport guy like i yeah. i struggled with the playing for myself and and having all that weight on me and i loved playing soccer and baseball and um i think you knew this like i loved mm-hmm. going to sporting events and mm-hmm. the team stuff and my experience at penn just kept drawing me back and um before you know it i was back in 2013 back back as a uh, assistant coach for the men and the women at penn and and um and now it's 2023 and amazing um just signed my new contract and i'm I'm you know <laughs> i'm the happiest person in the world now Oh, so.
0: dude love it love it and uh What's that famous saying? It's like, you know, if I had my time again, I'd make the same mistakes, but only quicker. I actually love yeah. that statement. It's like so cool, isn't it? It's like, actually, we wouldn't change anything. You know what? Making the same mistakes, but maybe quicker, then we can learn quicker from it. So, um, I just you love that as a benchmark sometimes.
4: I don't think if I coach, a, I use a lot of my mistakes in my coaching. And a lot of my positive experiences, but a lot of my failed and experiences. And I wouldn't call them bad choices. just choices that I would have made differently now looking back on it. But as you said, they kind of shape who you are and, and the foundation of yourself now. Exactly. So you have to go back and you have to own them. And I think you have to be real with them. And I think you mm. have to be transparent with yourself as to what was what, like, no, this I mean, if I'm honest with myself, I know for a fact, and, and now everyone knows is is I stopped. I mean, I could have fixed my back if I mm. wanted to. Mm. And, I, and I played in the world teams in 2013 and had my best world teams ever, mm. you know? And so like, I, but I played better because I was stress-free and I wasn't playing for points and I was playing for the team and I looked forward to the team competitions, yeah. but I wasn't playing for points or for money that was going to help pay my rent,
3: mm.
4: Right. So that, that taking that stress off and just playing for the love of it, you know, mm. you know, it, it, you look back on those experiences and then you're able to kind of tell your your students, no, you know what, if you decide to do this, trust me, I've done it before. <laughs> yeah, have this experience. Please don't make that mistake. Right. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, we're definitely going to transition into talking about your your coaching hat in a moment. There's just one more thing I want to stay with about that transition piece. So. When you did put it out on Facebook and when you decided that that was it, and you know when you know thank you for your transparency and your honesty and even your vulnerability here today talking that it was the mind, and that's I think why we're having this conversation personally, why I'm doing all the work I'm doing because that massively let me down as well um did you seek help from anyone did you have as a psychologist or even just was it family and friends how, how did that process go to bounce those ideas off people?
4: So it didn't have that. it was more like a talking to a family, right you know you, you mm-hmm. I think At that time, you always want the decision that people around you are okay with. You're like, oh, if I make this decision, are you good with it? And it's like you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it with a bunch of people. And I think I talked to Tommy at the time. I don't really remember who I spoke to. I kind of wish I had worked with someone at the beginning of my pro career because I think that would have set the foundation for me and allowed me to have more balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and perspective on what I was trying to achieve and the journey that it would that it, it would take to get there, um, and that was again the thing that I regret, you know, I because because now I mean I think it was also, you know, and this is where it kind of was messed up. I think I think it was also kind of deemed weak. It was you taboo. Know? It was taboo, wasn't it? Yeah, the way it we was, were at that stage we all wanted to be rocky we all wanted to be mm. macho we all wanted to be you know training and and training so hard that we could run through walls and putting up this percentage was, if to remember it was before social media right like mm-hmm. really like twitter mm-hmm. was just coming on the scene but like you wanted to show up at a tournament and just like epitomize that like image of just full strength mm. and that's what i tried to do like i think that was what was a pot like i think I think I was pretty tough to, to break down on court and I wanted mm-hmm. to give that perception that I was. And if I felt good mentally that week, like then I think I was pretty tough to beat, but if I wasn't in the right headspace, and um, you know, I, I think if I had somebody at that time, it would have been better. I didn't seek any help. I was pretty like, okay, this is the decision I'm going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the decision I'm supposed to make right in society. Like, okay, now it's time for me to go get, a job that's going to pay me money (laughs) you know know. what i mean and like Mm. you know that like and and that's like i think the thing that a lot of people in america when they go to college and they decide to play squash struggle with because their friends around them everyone's going and working these big jobs and living in these nice places in new york or wherever it is and you know you you get the sense of like what am i doing kind of thing like you get the imposter syndrome right you're just like Oh, Gilly's a Gilly's a pro athlete, mm, but he plays squash. So you're just mm. like, you know what I mean? Like he's not, mm. they're not on TV or anything. So it was, I I made the decision and I didn't think about it at all at the time. And then you look back and you you look, you're like, Hmm, maybe I could have, I could have done it a little differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, thanks. Thanks for being really open and honest with us. And uh, something you just said there that I just want to pick up on. Which statement I use a lot? Comparison is the is the thief of joy. You know, we're so busy comparing ourselves to the external what society thinks what. The you know the other people are doing, and we're we're using them as our yardstick. Surely comparison needs to be with the person we were yesterday, and how we're growing that side of things. And hard, not easy, because we all want that external validation and the instant gratification. But the true champions are the ones who know that it's it's that it's that Chinese bamboo tree again. It's that one drop of bucket in the water, day by day, oh, day by day by day, isn't it?
4: Totally, and I yeah. think being okay with a small group. And being okay with your thoughts in the worst moments is, is, is why individual athletes are so successful. Those that can get through those periods. You know, I think like Naomi Naomi Osaka has kind of brought this whole thing to the forefront with her documentary Mm -hmm. and not really playing and and just kind of saying how hard it is and, and for someone that's been so successful right yeah good. and um, listen
0: hopefully us having this conversation if anyone in the squash world hears that hopefully it just opens up that it's it's like listen talk about this people and get that help totally. you know even if it's, even if it's just reading a book along the subject and speaking to someone about it so um totally. so listen i think this transitions beautifully into your coaching hats and 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 your role at penn at the moment so you know so many little avenues i want to go down here with you and we can unpack this um but i suppose where, where i want to kick off is you know you're 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 leading a lot of young student athletes you know you're you're that figurehead you're that father figure for them sometimes away from mm-hmm. home um and I, I like want to try and unpack some of the main pressures and how you think you in your role start to help these athletes so what 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 are those main pressures that student athletes have to contend with
4: yeah so i think my 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 title says squash coach on my signature but it's 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 a lot it's a whole lot more than that obviously we have players from all around the world uh coming to philadelphia for this four-year experience and And for me, it's bigger than that. Um, I had such an amazing experience as a student athlete. My goal is to for those these kids to have that same experience, to have that same those same memories of these four years. And so, for me, I take it's a big responsibility for me to make sure that they are looked after, not only on a squash front, but more importantly on the individual side, right? So the human element and piece to that is huge for us it it helps build our team culture um and there is so much pressure on these kids you know we're talking about social media pressure like i mean every this 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 idea of instant gratification oh i'm coming to this you know i'm coming to the states i'm coming to this ivy league school you know well i need to do well because i need to get the big job after and i need to make sure that You know, I didn't waste the four years of my life. So when I get here, I have to do this, 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 and this, and all, Mm -hmm. and all. And by the way, I want to play number one on the team. Like my, our job, like as a, as a staff is to say, hold on, relax. Let's take a step back. Let's, 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 let's let's set the goals. Let's set what you want to do. And let's figure out how we get there Mm step-by-step. Everybody's coming from a different place in their lives, different family pressures, different um, different characteristics, different religions, different different family values. It is my job to understand the 16 differences and, and put those together, but then also know how I can communicate to each of those 16 individuals differently, right? Because mm-hmm. we know, uh, you know, we coach a team sport in college, but you have to coach those 16 players differently. But the team message as a, as a whole is going to be the same, but those side conversations are totally different. There's players that I can be really tough on there's players that I have to put an arm around there's players that I have to leave alone right and and figure out the right time to, to kind of come in with a message um, the first thing that we have to do though is relieve the stress and pressure from these kids when they walk in the door so the nice thing about our facility and you've been there Jess mm, is that incredible. my office is on the first <laughs> floor mm-hmm. so when the kids go to the team room I get to see them I see them I, they they knock on the window they say hi I can tell whether they're having a good day or a bad day right from the start. I can tell whether they've had a great exam. They've had a good meeting with professor. They've had a fun weekend with their friends. I can tell the opposite. Someone's mm-hmm. just broken up with their significant other. They are having, you know, an issue with their family. They are, you know, anything. They're stressed. My first job is to make sure they're okay, nice. is to make sure, hey, what, what's going on? How can I help you today? you know what? Sometimes it's like, don't practice today. Yeah. I need you to go in and reset yourself because they're looking at Instagram and they're like, look- I want this. They're looking at Snapchat. Oh, someone's doing this. Like this. Yeah. The, the fear of missing out FOMO, as they call mm. it, is real. The added pressure of wanting to be the best and feeling that they need to be the best at all times is a pressure that I'm so glad we didn't have this Totally. Yeah. growing up. Mm. And I couldn't imagine seeing like looking, Oh, well, Jesse's training like this hard this weekend. So I need to do double. Right. And so time. trying to have them embrace each moment and embrace each moment as a family is really important. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the first thing we're, we we try to do is we need to de-stress this and, and also formalizing, having these conversations and make and, t- and letting them know it's okay. And for me, it's, I, can, I want to open up about my stuff to say, you know, if coach opens up about stuff and it's very transparent, exactly. mm. then I feel like I can be vulnerable in those situations. 100%. And if we are honest, especially to, these kids are smart. They know when you're, when you're,
3: when you're mm-hmm.
4: feeding them a bunch of BS. If you are transparent, open, and honest, I feel like you get that same um, reaction back and you're going to get the same response back. Now, some of those conversations aren't pleasant. But if they know it's coming from a place of with with uh, a good place with someone who cares and is loving and passionate, um, I feel that it's taken well in, in, in to the point where it's OK. Coach was tough on me today, but it's coming from a place where he really cares and he wouldn't mm-hmm. be that tough on me if he didn't care.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
0: or such a compliment as a coach is like, you know what, you don't have to be tough on some of these kids. You can take the easy way out and just be like, eh, I'll just cruise, I'll just do what I need to. But actually, if you're tough on them, you, you, you've you got such an investment in them. And it's incredible just hearing you speak like that and, and, and how elevated your EQ is, your emotional intelligence, like the way you're having to grow yourself and the way you're having to learn all of this as well. So what do you think of that?
4: Well, I wouldn't say that it was always like that because mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I got, I was assistant coach for two years, associate head for one, and then I got kind of the head job in, oh gosh, I don't even know the year, but my first year as head coach, I was probably say it was my worst year of coaching okay. because I was so jazzed up to get this job. It was my dream job. It's the place I love. It's it's honestly, the you know, it's the place where I, I just feel so comfortable mm. and I coached everyone the way I wanted to be coached. I see. So I, you know, me, Jess, I, I, I have probably <laughs> the biggest chip on my shoulder. I want to prove everyone. I want to go out. and have these goals that I want to accomplish with the program. And I was, and we had a very talented team and historically we hadn't won anything, you know, uh, during like for ages. And it's like, Oh, we can do it. We can push, 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 push. And yeah. I kind of pushed too hard. And so I ended up slowly taking a step back and, you know, I worked with Jack Wyatt and Stuart Crawford and, um, you know, and Jack coaches the women and Stu helps with both teams, but Stu helped in the sense of like, you know, kind of coaching them all as individuals and kind of really get a sense of who everyone is. But that kind of started after that first year, I did a self-evaluation. So you got to be better. Like you Gilly have to be better. Mm. Like you have to, obviously it didn't work. So you have to change. It has nothing to do with the kids. Mm -hmm. Kids are there. Like you're the leader you have to change how you communicate in these situations because that didn't work. And the communication needs to be clearer. It needs to be simpler. It needs to, there needs to be compassion. And I think everyone wasn't questioning how much I cared and sure. loved them, mm. but it was the way in which it was communicated needed to change. Mm. Can you give and, some examples of that?
0: Cause that's really interesting. And and what, when you self-evaluated, what, what things did you actively try and change? You might not know too much, well, but does anything come to mind?
4: Yeah, because for me, training, I was like wanted to be Rafael Nadal, so like I thought more was better, mm-hmm. you know. And say, oh guys, we have big matches coming up, like we need to prep. we need to boom 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 boom, like we need to do this 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 this. And nowadays, it's like more. I just take the take the foot off the pedal a little bit, like okay. ease up and just kind of say, hey, how are you feeling holistically, mentally? Oh, physically, you're a little off today. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You're going to do a session today at like thirty mm-hmm. percent. You'll be fine. Just groove a couple balls. Because at the end of the day, like if we've done enough, then we know that that person is going to perform. I mean, it's different. We have one, it's one match a day, right? It's a Saturday, Sunday, they're playing two matches at the most. So if you've created a good culture, there's never going to be a question of not trying. But if you've pushed them so hard, are they going to be so physically and emotionally spent that they're not going to be able to give you anything? Mm. Then we're not allowing them any platform for success. And that's all we're, spo- we're we are here to do. We are supposed to provide a platform for young student athletes to be successful in whatever they want to do. So if we are not giving them that path, then we're not doing our job.
0: Love it. Mm, that's so good. And like you said, it's something that 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 you've evolved and you've grown. Some of it's probably organically, just by a little bit of self-reflection. Other bits with more formally, where you sit and you really analyze yourself. And yeah, it, like what, what comes to mind when you've, evolve yourself so I suppose the question I'm trying to ask how can you be the best version of yourself for them like so what what are your habits your processes that mean that you've given your best
4: well they've changed and I'm, I'm continuously working on them like and I'm and I'm still and I think it's being honest with myself in that I always say I can't ask anything of the boys that I'm not willing to do myself so I can't ask them to go be in the best shape of my life and then me go off and eat 20 bags of crisps every night and then come in out of shape and you know, like and not willing to kind of do the hard work. Um, and that goes over into analyzing each year how we did as a coaching staff. And and to be perfectly honest, like we got out coached this season. And Stuart and I sat down and we said, We need to be better in X, Y, and Z. And if we are not better, we are not we are not holding up our end of the bargain. Like, okay. if anything, like, we need to work on these areas in order to be better for the team so the team can be successful. Mm-hmm. And we vocalize that to the, to the kids. Like, we need – accountability is huge in the program. Accountability – and we don't have goals. We have standards. There are standards with our program. Not goals. I think goals are, goals are great, but we have standards as a program is in order to – we want to get 1% better each and every day but sometimes you have to go back in order to get one percent better if Mm. we can uphold the standards and and one of the standards is keeping our team culture at a at at a really high level is embracing each other it's picking each other up when we're down pushing each other to 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 our max each and every day um you know if we can do that we're going to be in a great place but if i don't do that personally Mm. um I'm not, I'm not bettering myself. I'm actually, everything that I'm saying doesn't carry any weight. So it's funny. It was interesting. You and Bart were talking about mindfulness and, and what is mindfulness. And I think it gets this connotation of like, oh, meditation, you know? And I think one of the, again, going back to my playing days, it's like keeping that concentration, keeping that focus, um, looking at the details. So like mindfulness for me was just trying to get 10 minutes of quiet on my own with no phones, with no distractions. Cause people that know me know I have a billion different things going on. I'm constantly thinking about how we can be better. And for me, it's like, when I get in that zone, it's like getting on the bike at eight o'clock every morning. And nice. then, you know, before I go to bed, it's listening to a mindfulness podcast, even that, you know, just trying to get my own thoughts, trying to use my phone less, trying to write things down more, journal a little bit more, but it's hard. It's very hard. And I think, again, going back to how we communicate that to the student-athlete, it's not easy. What we're asking them to do is not easy because what, when we try to do it ourselves, we can see how hard it is. And I'm not taking four or five classes like they are. Yeah, I don't exactly. have a job interview with Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs like on the <laughs> weekend that I'm trying to prep for. You know, I don't have the social event on the weekend that they're prepping for, right? So we need to be aware of the pressures that surround our players more than ever so that we can communicate appropriately. A message that is going to sink in is going to have an effect positively, which allows them to be successful. And we only get 15 seconds. And it better be good in those 15 seconds because the attention span is like all over the place. So 100%. I'm mm-hmm. working constantly each day. I think my routine, I don't think there's ever, I, I've never had the right routine and I'm still working on it, but there's a bunch of different things that I've been trying. And and I liked how you guys put it. It's like mindfulness is you being in that place for you in order to get the best out of yourself.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's
4: not, Oh, I meditated for five minutes, but my phone was buzzing 13 times, right? Mm -hmm. It's you need to do individually what puts you in the right mental Mm headspace for you to be the best version of yourself. Love and it. whatever that is is okay.
0: And listen, it's it's a muscle it, 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 that that skill of mindfulness and and reducing distractions and being in the moment. It's a skill that gets developed, and it's a muscle. It's something I'm running experiments with on every day with myself, and certain weekends or silent meditation retreats. Just finding what it is, because yes, we're in we're in a busy, hyper kind of zoned world. But we can still find that those micro meditations, those moments of quiet, in the moments. And yeah, hopefully this is a good experience, Kili. We've been here for best part of an hour now. You know, no distractions. We're just here. We're in the moment, man. This is this is great. That's why I even yeah. love doing these. We're just we're we're immersed right now.
4: It's 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 good and it's healthy to hear other people think about it and then vocalize it. Mm. Because I feel like, you know, and they always say great coaches are stealing from everyone else. Well, it's, it's, it's the truth. You know, we steal, we're steal, we taking quotes from everyone. Like Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. who's the quarterback of the Foot Off Eagles, said, you know, I either win or I learn.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, it's just simple, right? right? I mean, it's if you're not winning, you, you better be learning each and every day. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, we win, but we have to learn. We have to change. We have to, we have to be open and honest. We have to be hard on ourselves in the right way. They think there's being hard on yourself to a point, which I was early in my career. Yeah, And now it's offered me a little bit more, you're talking about the mindfulness, like openness to really uh, embrace, okay, we were terrible there
0: <laughs> totally. and,
4: and and this is where I need to be better, mm. but how am I going to work on it? I can't say that we need to be better and not do anything.
0: Yeah. It's all about actions. And what's. I love your standards there because again, Navy SEAL, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You drop to the level of your behaviors and your actions. It's like, what are you doing? Like, what are your actions and behaviors that are aligned with where you want to go? Like it it, it sounds so simple. It is simple, but the execution of it on a daily basis, you know, the good, the good do it. Sometimes the great do it all the time. I think Alison McCaw said something along those lines and it's just, it's, it's so powerful to understand that. And yeah, like when, when we are in that moment, do we, do we, reach for that bag of crisps or do we reach for the salad? Like it's our actions that are going to determine what's going to happen down the line.
4: And, and my, my now my new favorite thing, because I mean, we the last two years, I mean, we've, we're in the most successful era of the program at the moment. So nice. this is where it's been interesting is because we've gone, you know, we were at, went to two national finals in a row the, the year before COVID and then the year when we came back from COVID. Um, two finals, lost to Harvard in both you know, year ago, won the league, hmm. um, the Ivy League for the first time since 1973. Amazing. And then so but but then that adds the pressure, right? So like that, we've had all these, you know, we've, we've, we've got three guys that are on the pro tour. Now, you know, it's becoming more normalizing that. But it's also trying to keep everyone, you know, oh, my gosh, we need this now. And it gets, gets to that phase back when I was playing of like, oh, I want it now. And I've, started to feel that anxiety again interesting where I've had to pull myself back and you know the the Zen saying which is 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 my favorite now is before enlightenment chop wood carry water after enlightenment chop wood carry water right just stay focused, at hand rather than dwelling on the past or worrying about the future it's something that I have to say to myself all the time because mm. this year while we lost, We've lost. Uh, we, we had a tough five four in the final against Harvard, which um, you know there's 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 been questions about a certain match, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and then we lost a tough five four, um, tough five four to Trinity in the semi final. We were seeded two this year, and we had a we had a conduct match that was actually um, it's been all over social media. That's been um, very questioned. Where like cause we've had a like had a couple of. In there, where it's kind of like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening," and your first instinct is to say, "Oh my gosh, this happened to ha- us. It was supposed to happen now. Why isn't it happening now?" And then I go back to that quote, yeah, and it's just like, "Okay, you know what? We gotta, we we gotta keep putting money in the bank. We gotta keep building the equity because it's gonna happen." So love it, dude. You know it's, but it's yeah, it, it it's hard because it's, you, mm. you when you when you love when you love what you do so much and you want and you love the kids so much. Like, you want it for them.
0: Yeah.
4: I mean, and and, let's call it how it is. Like, I definitely personally want it. So, you know what I mean? Mm. But, like, but the kids do everything in their power to do it. And Mm. you want it for them because they sacrifice so much. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, mate, it's good. It's good. Again, you trying to be that slightly more zoomed out, you know, again to add to the chop wood carry water, which again I love that. I use that often in, in some of my writing. Um, Marcus Aurelius loves some stoic philosophy. This too shall pass. You know, he always said, This too shall pass. The highs of the highs, the lows of the lows. The Roman Empire was, you know, no one thought it would pass. It's passed. It's like, so yes, oh. but it's not to devalue the importance of the moment, like you can try love it and embrace it, but. Hey, listen, it's, 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 it's not like, and again, let's get real. We're not on the, the front line. We're not saving lives. We're not altering the axis of the earth right now, but that doesn't devalue the importance. That's the important thing to get right. Isn't it? Like it's not, we're not here sitting on a mountaintop meditating without being part of the world. And it's how you as the coach and the leader try and expose that to your, your student athletes. And it sounds like you're, you're doing an incredible job by, by having these conversations with them.
4: Yeah. The, the whole goal, right. Is, is, is obviously we, we want to be successful. We, we want to have those times together. We want to have those moments of, you know, where we're hugging and crying together and, you know, sharing those like really good emotional moments. Um, but I always say to everyone is, is I know if I've done a good job, if all the boys are going to each other's weddings in in 10 to 15, 20 years, because we've then created a bond that's lasted a long time. Right. That's and powerful. so if that's that's what comes of it and, you know, and, and, and everyone's doing that, then, then we've succeeded in the, in the mission. Do I wish there, do I, do I hope there's a lot of titles within that? Yeah, of course I do, because that's the competitor in me. But I think from the standpoint of creating a culture that's that's everlasting, is that's what you want. You want that constant communication and you want the guys that graduate to, to be able to tell the current students how we do things here. Like mm-hmm. oh, you're part of the pen squash culture. This is how, this is, these are the expectations. This is how we we handle situations, and and you're creating almost like a family tree, um, where those guys are looking out for the younger guys constantly, and 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 embracing them as as one. And and that's that's one of the coolest things about being part mm-hmm. of it, but.
0: Yeah, love that. Like almost re- recycling your players when they become the seniors. They're the role models. They're, they're already giving that message through. And I can imagine COVID was hard for that, wasn't it? Because you then probably had a couple of years where your then seniors were not able to influence the juniors and then the juniors got to the top, but they might not have had that touch point. How did you navigate that?
4: I mean, it was I was very fortunate. You know, you can't be successful as a coach if you don't have good kids. And okay. I get we had great kids. Like we have, and they're not kids, they're men. Um we had kids that um were so driven, so motivated. Andrew uh Andrew Douglas and Ali Abu Alain who are both on the tour, Ali's top 30 in the world, Mm. you know, Andrew's, you know, I think top 60 at the moment, um, James Flynn from Canada, Yash Bargava, Barga from um from India. Those four like really stick out. They had such a passion. For the program, passion for being together, they set the core values so early on that they knew when they came back what they wanted to accomplish. Hmm. That year I stayed out of the way.
0: Is that a? Eh? Wow, cool. You
4: know, because you just have those teams where you know hmm. this is not about X's and O's this year. This is about managing everyone, making sure everyone's feeling good because you know that. If they feel good, they are going to deliver.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And I had so much trust. There's, there's a part of uh, leadership. that's called followership. Okay, And sometimes being a really good leader, you have to be a really good follower. And like that. that year, I felt like I was a leader and a follower.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I wanted to follow the seniors lead because it was their time. They had created something very spe- special and unique wasn't even unique they, they they created the core values and the standards that we set for our program mm-hmm. there's expectation now because of those guys um and there's and there's a love of the program and there's that family atmosphere because they bought into that early in their career and set those standards nice. so that year i was a follower hmm. you know in a way if i look back on it you know this year when after they those guys graduated you become you go back into a different role because every year you you have to change who you are depending on the makeup of your 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 team, the makeup of your your organization.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And they were so great during COVID. I mean, the year, the year that we played, I mean everyone was getting tested weekly. They were all living together. They they created their own bubble. Amazing. They they didn't go out if they if they did stuff uh, together. It was only in the people in the bubble. I mean, they were so locked in and, and that's why it's so heartbreaking we we had won every match until the national final and lost five, four Ugh. and had two match balls. Like that's why it was so heartbreaking because of the sacrifice. Yeah, Like they yeah. weren't out partying and mixing with other students on campus. They knew they had to keep their communities and their, their units so tight um, because of the fear of testing positive. But,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and that's where as a coach, you just feel blessed, right? You, mm. When you, when there's that much trust, I mean mm. that's the that's the ultimate. That's exactly yeah. what you
0: want, and the memories those those kids are going to have from it is just going to be incredible. You know, you know that's what they're going to be talking about. Yes, uh, of course, winning that the one of those two match balls would have put a little bit more kind of icing on the cake in that. But you know what? It, it probably goes way deeper than that, doesn't it? If you're being really honest, like you know, you can't really tell. But in fifteen twenty years, I think those people sitting around each other's weddings, as you said, will be talking about the memories they created at that point.
4: I mean those those guys were. Those guys were there when I first got married. Hmm. They were there when I told them I was about to have a son, like they were the first people that I told amazing you man. know and and hmm. i mean that's that's just kind of the relationship we had, you know and and, and it is it's amazing, you know and mm. that's that's what you want and um, right. still talk to all of them. Right. So it's 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 the best.
0: Doing something right there, my man. Doing something right. So listen, um, there's probably one or two more little topics I'd like to talk about if you're okay for a little bit of time. Yep. Um, one of the things to mention here now, listen, we are not mental health experts, but I do want to just bring up the conversation with this because I think it's important. Um, like you said, you can notice you know your students as they walk in whether they've had good or bad mental health definitely comes into this but also how you help your student athletes deal with anxiety because anxiety is such a big thing i know we've mentioned things about social media and comparison but do you want to just expand a little bit more on, on maybe the mental health angle of, of the players you work with
4: yeah totally um this is where I, you know the, the the university has placed such a high value on this that we have actually um uh, mental performance coaches in a department. We have, um, someone who is just a mental, mental coach, um, uh, that is only for athletes actually, that was just hired. Um, and it was something that the student athletes, uh, really valued and thought that was going to be huge for, for, you know, our organization. And and so I, I, I commend our, our school for, for making it a priority because I feel like, um, we need to normalize the conversation a lot more. Um, I've had friends um, pass because of um, mental pressures. And it's a a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. And I think it's allowed me to open up more because I've seen the result of being closed Mm -hmm. about it. I think our first instinct right away is people that want to help is to talk. And I think what I'm learning more and more is that we have to listen and ask how people are doing and be genuine. Like, I know it sounds easy, but like the big thing I've been thinking about these days is just spreading love, like Mm -hmm. hugs. How are you? You know, like, and being genuine and being like, do you really like when you say something, make sure you say it because you care. Like you know, don't say something because you're just you're supposed to say it and check in. Mm-hmm. And I feel a real sense of responsibility, specifically to the international players in our team, because they've left their families to come.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So it is my job to make sure that they are taken care of. It's my job to not only be the coach, but the older brother, dad, however they want to, older cousin, whatever mm-hmm. they want to think of me as, like. But I think it's our job to listen. And I don't think you can force anything out of anyone. And the, when somebody wants to tell you something, they will. But they'll only tell you something if you've created, if you have a relationship where they know you're going to be supportive
3: mm-hmm. and
4: open. If you're closed, then it's going to be really hard for that person to share and you're not creating space that's safe.
3: Yep.
4: And it. so... We can we we tell people to go to 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 talk to someone all the time, whether it's for anxiety, whether it's to help them with their squash, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's always and, and and always. I'm not we're no expert, like you said, yep. mm-hmm. so we don't have all the answers. The only thing that we can do is listen, and we can be there as a supporting um, a supporting person and and someone that will take what they say in, and then we need to figure out. What we do with that information and how we use it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we just need it. It's checking in more. It's funny, it, it'll it make them better players.
3: Totally. Because mm-hmm.
4: they feel like they get a weight off their shoulder, they'll train better. And if they mm-hmm. get a weight off their shoulder, they'll, they'll play better in the match. And if mm-hmm. they feel clear in their mind, they're going to be clear in the nine all in the mm-hmm. fifth,
3: right? Mm-hmm. And, 100%. And yeah.
4: So it, it's a big issue. And I think. Our phones are the, the the worst things in the world, and um, it, it creates a, a, a false reality sometimes that we're trying to to chase, and which then puts way too much pressure on everyone individually. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I'm, I'm terrible with my phone. I'm on it way too much, and trying more and more to get to to be in that space where I have my own time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of that is also because. I am talking to a lot of people. I feel like it's my responsibility to check in yeah. because mm. i promised a lot of families that I would look take out care of them. Mm.
3: Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. and it's
4: mm. the same way. It's almost like, you know, the same way that, you know, I knew my mom, when you picked me up, you were going to look out after me and I'm mm. getting off the plane and it's like, she trusted you. So it's like, Oh, well, Jesse's grabbing him. He's fine.
0: Mm. You're, you're in no cell phone. now.
4: Well, you know what I mean? No cell phone, like yep. nothing. It's like okay, he's he's fine. Like you were at our house for what you know, six weeks mm. that summer. It was like Yeah, yeah. Oh, well okay. It's fine. You know, mm. you see just pay, you're paying it paying it back, really. Yeah.
0: Mate, yeah, but listen, really well said about the listening part. That that's that's really, really sound advice. And um, yeah, you put it across so well. And, you know, I'm I'm really glad you've you've got a setup there that can help the student athletes. But listen, it sounds like you're also the conduit for this, you know, the person that um that they can come to and, and start to reflect with, you know, if there's something slightly more um, you know, bigger than that, there's more signposts to that. So mate, well done. It sounds like you're doing an incredible job there. Like really, really proud of what you're doing, man. It is flipping great. Um, So listen, dude, I think we, we, we've covered so many great bases. There's probably like a whole other hour I could talk about loads of other things, but just want to maybe leave it kind of open to you. Do you. Is there anything maybe we haven't covered yet that you think actually it would be a good little point or even if it's something we haven't covered, maybe a final message for the listeners out there? Um, What comes to mind?
4: I, you know, I think you know obviously we deal with a lot of high performing individuals that that want to be great at whatever they're doing i also love the players that, that the people that just want to get better right so the nice thing about our job is that we're working with people that that i feel constantly want to improve and the fun part for us is finding out what they want to improve in it's it, it, the fun part for me is um figuring out what communication style works, embracing the differences, embracing um, different upbringings, embracing um, the methods of how to be great, because there's not one way to get there. There's a bunch of different ways to get there. And, and what may have worked for me or what worked for you is not going to work for somebody else. So we're constantly involving and learning and having to improve ourselves, you know, and I think that's, the one thing i would say to anyone is that it it is a process it, be but be yourself and and love yourself for that and and love your own process and embrace that own process um you know the work that you you put in early is going to lay the foundation for um for what you do in in future years um but it is a journey and and it's incredible how you can involve personally and, and professionally over just the course of a, of a short time um but yeah i mean it, it, playing playing set the foundation for me and it was kind of almost like my internship i kind of i kind of call it a, a, for my life now but my my style has changed every year since i started coaching um and i think it's going to change even more as, as the times change so um wow. I wouldn't have to say I have like a final, you know, a, a big message to anyone, but I, I would just say, love what you're doing, do something that you love, embrace the people around you that are, that want to help, mm-hmm. um, you know, share and and evolve and um, and just be passionate about what you do, I think. Nice. anytime you're passionate about what you do you've never worked a day in your life yeah i still feel like i haven't worked yet in Same. my life at, at, at 30 30 we years old we're so. cheating somehow aren't we i don't know
0: we're getting away with this someone's going to bust us at yeah. some point aren't they but um have you have you come across um, meta meditation like the, the concept of meta um the, the literal translation for meta is loving kindness. And there's there's some really good meditation sc- scripts that I actually had one this morning. I actually listened to one this morning all about um yeah how you how you you know grow loving kindness, but it's genuinely it kind of starts with yourself and then you transport it to different areas. So if you're interested in that stuff, Meta is incredible. And I always actually sign off a lot of my emails with Meta Jesse now. So yeah, it's quite a quite, I, a, quite I, a powerful force.
4: I'll check it out for sure. It's a really it's, cool. it's it's just a, it, that 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 power of just being kind and, 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 and support is, it, it's, it, it does more than, you know.
0: Yeah. And, and you said like, just to pick up a final point here, you said it actually gets them to play, but I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm really interested in this, this idea of non-resistance. Like as soon as we have resistance in our life is there's friction and we're, we're maybe again, part of multitasking, part of being distracted, part of instant gratification that's resistance, right? But the more we can express non-resistance when we come into a performance environment, boy, we've got that mental bandwidth. We've got that space to express ourselves. So I couldn't agree more with what you said about this idea that, you know, you you get your off-court life in a good place and you're doing those good habits and behaviors. It's a natural transition into your performance environment. And I don't think we ever had that as players, you know, it didn't really ever feel like that was even spoken about, was it?
4: Yeah, it was never, it was never something that we put into our training plan Mm -hmm. that, because we just, oh, we'll do another bike session exactly. or do another ghosting <laughs> session, you'll be fine. Or, you know, play another practice match. It was, it's, it's, these things are important into your day, like even carving out 10 minutes just to mm-hmm. say, to to shut the lights off or to, to have a quiet moment. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that we'll be adding into my kind of routine more, but it's going to be a trial and error kind of thing. It, and exactly. it's one of those things I want to throw out there. It's not for everyone, mm-hmm. but it's not going to work right away. <laughs> So it's something, again, like you said, you have to train the mind to to, to do it.
0: Mm, Incredible. Well, listen, it sounds like we we have to set a date for a few years in the future when your coaching philosophies have changed and (laughs) you got your whole team up in the Rockies meditating on in in the snow or something.
4: (laughs) Uh, It won't be me, I can tell you that. Fair enough. (laughs) Listen, Gilly
0: Lane, you've been an absolute treat, man. It's just been great to catch up again as well. Just share some old stories, man. And this has been really good fun. Hope you've enjoyed it today as well, my man.
4: Yes, thanks for having me on, man. It's been a pleasure.
1: The cat